Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. This is season five, episode nine. This week, we're talking about jealousy and compersion, and we're lucky enough to have our guest today be Dr. Liz Powell. They are an author, coach, and psychologist um, who is here to talk with us a little bit about these kind of big topics in polyamory. It's the first thing you hear from a lot of new people, either, oh, I didn't think I could be polyamorous because I have such issues with jealousy, or I really knew polyamory was for me because jealousy isn't an issue at all. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, some myth-busting around polyamory, how to build skills of compersion and encourage compersion within your relationships, as well as what to do when you're not feeling compersion so much. And of course, as we all know here on the Ready for Polyamory podcast, we don't think of compersion as a mandatory thing. So we talk a little bit about the ways in which it is and isn't opposed to jealousy and why it is that that's become such a popular framing of these two topics. If you haven't heard, the audiobook version of Ready for Polyamory is out. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. And of course, uh, as always, we've got ongoing posts on the blog and on my social media at Ready for Polyamory. So feel free to check out any of those. But for now, we're going to get into this really great interview with Dr. Liz Powell about compersion and jealousy for you. So thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Liz. Um, would you like to take a second to introduce yourself to anybody who hasn't been listening to the podcast for a while and didn't hear you way back when you were here in season two? Sure. So I am Dr. Liz. I am a psychologist, author, and speaker. Uh, I wrote Building Open Relationships, which is a practical how-to guide for non-monogamy. Uh, I'm a licensed psychologist in California and Oregon, and I also do coaching and teach lots of classes about stuff related to non-monogamy and kink and relationships and all that good stuff. Great. And I really enjoyed your book because of some of the like practical details about how to figure out what kind of non-monogamy is actually going to work for you from a standpoint of like, what areas you struggle with, what areas you don't, and what makes sense for you. So from mm -hmm. that point of view, it made sense to me to have you on to talk about this kind of big overarching topic of jealousy and compersion, because when we talk about these things, nobody actually wants to vaguely go, well, I get jealous sometimes. They want to talk about the practical side of that. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I hear a lot of people who say, oh, I could never do non-monogamy. I'm too jealous. Or like, but don't you get jealous when you do polyamory? There's this way that our culture treats jealousy, particularly in romantic relationships, differently than it treats almost any other emotion. You know, most of our emotions we expect they're going to come, they're going to go. It is what it is. Right. But with jealousy, we treat it like this life sentence, essentially, that like, if you have been jealous in the past, you are a jealous person, you will always be jealous, there is no way to change it. And jealousy is bad. And therefore, you should do whatever it takes to avoid it, including controlling and changing your partners to make sure that they don't do things that might induce jealousy in you. And like, 
wow, what, what, like, how does that make any sense? Right? Like, first of all, our partners do not exist for our comfort, right? Like if we are having a problem, we need to communicate that with them, but it is not their job to change themselves to make us comfortable. Um, and I think that it creates this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where if I assume that this is something I cannot change about myself, that it is how I am, I am not going to actually try to change it. I'm not going to believe in any changes I try because I have already decided that it is unchangeable. And so it creates this situation where we are saying that we are doomed to this fate and then continuing to doom ourselves over and over again. And I don't, I don't think that, that helps anybody. I think there are several parts of that that are unhelpful. First, jealousy is not bad necessarily. Jealousy is a normal fucking emotion. Like, look, mm -hmm. here's the thing. We're in year 3005 of the pandemic. I don't know. What is time anymore? Like, how does it even work anymore? Right. We are surrounded by trauma and grief. And we're in a culture that's telling us we should still find ways to like show up to work and smile and be happy. So clearly we are in a culture that is fucked up about feelings, right? <laughs> Particularly ones that have what we feel to be a negative valence. So anything that feels bad, we're supposed to like get it away from us as soon as possible. And the problem with that is that we then don't learn from those feelings. Sometimes our feelings are based in bullshit. Sometimes our feelings are brain garbage that the little like monkeys operating the levers are just like throwing shit at us from behind their screens, right? But a lot of the time, Jealousy actually gives us really important information about ourselves, about our partnerships, about what we want and need, that if we try to like shove it away and either like legislate ourselves away from it or like avoid anything that could possibly trigger it, or like the other thing that a lot of like perfect poly people do, which is pretend they don't have it ever, we don't learn those lessons. Jealousy is like a check engine light and we need to be able to sit with it and understand it. Right. If we're so focused on being like poster child polyamory that we can't like identify that, okay, this feeling is either telling me that I have these brain weasels who are driving my bus that I need to address or that I'm having this issue in my relationship that we need to actually talk about and work forward with. We don't get anywhere. We sit in the same place and the brain weasels keep driving the bus or the monkeys keep throwing the shit, depending. Yeah. And then it comes out sideways, right? Like we've all been the person who's holding on to the negative feeling that we're pretending we don't have. And then we lash out on our partner in really weird ways. Like I once micromanaged a partner through making me a quesadilla because he was doing it wrong. <laughs> and I couldn't talk to him about the fact that us living together was a terrible idea and was making me feel suffocated. So instead I micromanaged him cooking me a quesadilla. Like, no, <laughs> that is not helpful to anybody. Right. Um, jealousy gives us important information. I think, I do think I want to say here that there is a way that we tend to associate almost any negative feeling that we have relationally, particularly in non-monogamy about something our partner is doing, especially as it relates to other partnerships as being jealousy. And I think Polly Secure did a really good job about talking about how sometimes that is actually an attachment wound or an attachment yeah. issue that is happening and not just jealousy. So I think, again, like paying attention to the feeling gives us the space to ask questions. I like to think of it when I have these challenging feelings as if I'm going to like throw a little tea party and invite these feelings to come and sit with me, right? Like, at the end of a tea party, I don't have to do exactly what everybody in the tea party told me to do, but I at least get to sit down and have a chat. Mm -hmm. And so I want to sit down with my jealousy and say, okay, so like, what's up here? Jealousy. Like, is this about 
me stuff? Like, is this about something happening in this relationship? Is this about something happening out there? Like if I'm in a place where I'm not well-resourced in general, if I am having a lot of feelings in general, if I'm stressed, if I'm depressed, not sleeping well, any of those things, I'm much more likely to have issues in my relationships, right? So noticing the jealousy and giving it space gives me time to sit down and really look at like, why is this happening? What do I need from it? Instead of just jumping to, oh, nope, can't have that. Pretend it's not there. Or jumping to, you need to change so I don't feel it. Right. And if we can sit with it and realize what the issue is, we can start planning a solution that is better tailored than, as you're putting it, micromanaging the other person such that we don't have to feel something. Right. Because I think... You know, one of the things that mainstream monogamous culture teaches us is that our partners are responsible for our happiness. And so we get to control them and contort them into the shapes that will make us happy. And we do this at a whole bunch of different places in our in our culture, right? We do this in our work relationships. We do this in familial relationships, like the ways in which we expect other people to become the person we want rather than figuring out how to relate to the person that they are, are numerous. But particularly in romantic relationships, there is this story that if your partner is doing something that upsets you, it is their job to stop it, not both of your job to sit down together and figure this out and see Mm -hmm. like, is this a thing that they need to change? Is this a thing you need to get better with? Is this a thing that means this relationship isn't fitting in some way and needs to be restructured? Right. And like, transitions and changes in your relationships are not world ending they are in fact often a positive form of growth that doesn't mean that either of you have failed by having had a feeling acknowledging it and then adjusting i think part of how we judge success in relationships particularly in mainstream american culture is by longevity right unless it ends in death it's Mm -hmm. a failure And that's such messy messaging because like, look, by that standard, I've had a successful relationship because I was dating someone. We weren't together very long, but he died before we broke up. So apparently I won at relationships, right? Like, why is that the standard? No, like it was, you know, it was five years ago now and it sucks. And when the only marker of success is that it ends in death, wow, like what other thing do we have where success is ends in death, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, that's not great. You know, I recently had a restructuring with a person who had been a partner of mine and the way that we did non-monogamy was just really different. And it meant that we kept hitting these big conflicts around things. Mm-hmm. And after several months of trying to figure it out and work it out, I just kind of realized that like, the way that this relationship was set up was giving my now former partner pretty much everything that they wanted from the relationship, except that I would get pissed with them about stuff, but I wasn't getting what I wanted and needed from the relationship. And that's not really workable. And so we had a conversation about it, took a couple weeks away from each other and now we're friends and can like hook up in the future and play, but we're not going to keep hitting the, hitting those same breakpoints that cause problems. And that's why we're able to still be friends. That's why we're able to still be lovers because rather than waiting until we were furious with each other mm-hmm. to restructure things, we were able to sit down and say like, look, this isn't working. It's creating too much conflict. Let's just do something different. Right. If you don't wait until the options are divorce while hating each other so badly that you can't talk except through lawyers, 
you have a lot more options available to you. Yeah, it is better to end early, but in a place of like mutual respect and kindness than to wait until the bitter, bitter, and I do mean bitter end, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, you know, again, jealousy gives us good information here. Jealousy lets us know, is there stuff that I am not getting that I really need? Because sometimes jealousy is the voice of our unmet wants, of our unmet needs. It is telling us, hey, this person keeps taking this new person out to dinner all the time. They haven't taken me out on a date in six months. This fucking sucks, right? Uh, In more than two, they talk about it as grapes versus cucumbers um, Mm -hmm. based on this study with monkeys. When they fed monkeys cucumbers, they were super happy. Then they had monkeys in cages next to each other. One of the monkeys started getting grapes. The other monkeys got fucking pissed that they were only getting cucumbers. Mm -hmm. They were perfectly happy with cucumbers until somebody else was getting grapes. And I think for a lot of us in non-monogamy, as soon as we start feeling like we're getting the cucumbers and somebody else is getting the grapes it can be hard to know how to navigate that. And there's often this temptation to like tear down the other relationship mm-hmm. when what we could be doing is building up the one that we have or like having hard conversations about the one that we have. I think a lot of stuff that people kind of put on metamorphites fights is actually conversations they're avoiding having with their shared partner, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's so much easier to be pissed at a metamor than to say to your partner, hey, the things that you're doing actually suck and I don't like them. And I would like for you to do different things. Can we talk about how this can be different? Right. Like 10% of the time you and your metamor have a problem. 90% of the time you and the hinge have a problem that someone doesn't want to have a conversation about. I mean, I was going to transition to talk a little bit about compersion Mm -hmm. in that, like a lot of people talk about compersion as the opposite of jealousy. And I get why, but I don't necessarily agree with that framing, especially when it's presented as like the antidote to jealousy, because I don't think that's helpful. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about looking for joy instead of happiness, that happiness is this shallow surface thing that we feel that is easily derailed by anything negative or challenging happening to us. Whereas joy is something deeper that we find even when there are hard things happening. I think of compersion less as a happy and more as a joy. Compersion is about the ways that I am able to choose things to focus on to support the happiness and enjoy the happiness of others around me. And that can coexist at the same time as jealousy, right? Like I can be feeling jealous that my partner has this new shiny person and also be really fucking happy that they found someone who loves talking about anime with them because anime is not really my jam, right? Like, we can build that to happen together. It's not an either or. We want things to be these clean, neat binaries and they're not. Absolutely. And those two things just don't exist on a spectrum, at least for me. Like I know, I know people would love the idea of them existing in a binary or on a spectrum because like it would be so neat and tidy, but like, I don't know anyone for whom they actually do right? No. I've been polyamorous because none of our feelings work that way. Like, like there's almost no feeling that we have that's on an opposite end of a spectrum from another. It's not like when you feel a lot of sad, it decreases your happy. Like it kind of does, but that's not really how it works. No, sometimes it's so overwhelming that you don't feel your other feelings as intensely, but that's, 
that's depression and then you don't feel anything as intensely not even the sad really by the end but like boy howdy have i been there the last few weeks and just oh. started some wellbutrin oh gosh, cool i mean oh <laughs> right but no i agree i think that there's this way that a lot of us struggle to recognize that the majority of the time when we feel things we're feeling like a messy pile of spaghetti of feelings mm -hmm. not like a clear single definite defined feeling right it's a whole big mess and they're all mixed up together because the way that we think and feel about things is rarely simple it's rarely clear one thing or another it's always a mix Compersion is something that I also hear a lot of people talk about as like, either it's natural to you or it's impossible, which is another beautiful binary, right? <laughs> if you're not a natural compersion prodigy, you're doomed forever. My level of eye rolls, you guys, I think I just <laughs> flipped the computer upside down. But like, I love to make a big deal out of compersion not being mandatory, partly for those mm -hmm. people who like do that heavy identification of I am not a compersion prodigy and so I am doomed so that they stop thinking they're doomed. But right. also because most of the time when I feel compersion, it's a messy experience. Like it's part of all these other feelings and thoughts and whatever that don't sit neatly by themselves. They sit in this like, well, yes, I am feeling this positive, empathetic experience for my partner that is about their happiness and joy with someone else. But simultaneously, I'm feeling uh, maybe a little bit of envy over whatever the thing is that that experience is, and maybe a little bit of whatever else is going on in my life, which given that I'm chronically ill and a mom and whatever is often a mix of stress and sads, like, but on balance, do I still identify that like compersion is in that mix? Yeah, often it is, but is it sometimes still not? Yeah. Cause sometimes it's just not, and that's okay. <laughs> Right. Compersion is not mandatory. And I think taking this prodigy or impossible stance uh, is, is a thing that happens in a lot of places in, in U.S. culture. So like if we think about people who like don't want to do drawing because they're not good at it or they don't want to sing because they're not good at it. Right. There's this way that in our culture, unless you are good at it and or can monetize it, you just shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. There's no like doing things because you enjoy the doing of them, even if you're not good at it. And I think that's a much more useful approach here, especially for things like compersion. The thing about compersion is that you can build a skill of compersion. You can build your compersion muscle. You can increase your capability to notice and feel compersion. And you have to be okay with not being perfect at it and with it being a process that takes time right? With it being something that is going to be messy and complicated, not like I'm going to sit down and do a worksheet about compersion and then I'm always going to feel perfect compersion forever. Because I don't know anybody who feels perfect compersion anywhere. The people who write all the polyamory books, even the people who are naturally very good at compersion, it is not a perfect compersion feeling that we have. Like I'm naturally pretty good at compersion most of the time. Mm -hmm. And in the context of a global pandemic and huge attacks on trans rights, compersion is way more challenging for me right now because mm -hmm. I am in a threat mode all of the time, which makes me want to like clamp down and hoard, right? Mm -hmm. And I can still continually practice it. I can still keep making choices that move towards compersion rather than away from it. 
Right. You can keep noticing that there is the compersion meatball in your bowl of spaghetti and go, well, yes, I have this. It's here. Instead of pretending like, no, no, this bowl of mixed up feelings spaghetti that I am holding. It is only jealousy. It is only bads. Or no, it is only compersion. Yes, there are three different kinds of noodles and two different sauces and four meats in this bowl, but it is only one food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so simple <laughs> and it's it is like it is challenging and I think especially right now where all of us are on high alert in so many ways you know when your brain's limbic system is activated it is much harder to access the like forward thinking logic choice making parts of your brain when you are constantly feeling like you're under threat you're going to want to defend what is yours. You're going to have less of a tendency towards sharing and openness and giving and more of a tendency towards grabbing and holding and keeping because mm -hmm. when we are threatened, we want to kind of like pull everything in and lock it down. And, you know, I recently read um, We Will Not Cancel Us by Adrienne Marie Brown. And a lot of what she talks about in that book is about the ways that we can choose life and choose being present and choose community and loving, even when it is hard. That part of abolition, part of moving away from violence is about choosing life. It is about choosing kindness. It is about choosing things that are minimizing harm wherever possible. And if we're in this space of hoarding and controlling and closing down, it feels safer to us, but it is increasing the harm that is around us. And so finding ways to open up a little bit and to find ways to choose community and to choose connection, to choose openness, to choose, you know, being generous, that is helpful in reducing the harm that we're all experiencing. Yeah. And like choosing these moments of generosity and vulnerability and like openness are genuinely hard, especially for yes. those of us with trauma history and with attachment wounds and with all of these difficult bits of background, right? We are not trying to say that this is like something that we should all be wandering into with open arms, flower crowns, and an intention to go to Coachella, right? Like, no, we do not do but, spiritual bypassing here. That is not the thing we do. This is not like, a good vibes only space because bullshit. Exactly. But in wading through sort of the muck of being willing to be open to these things, including in going, wow, most of this bowl of spaghetti is terrible and is covered with this jealousy sauce, but this meatball of compersion here is actually okay. And like, I can acknowledge that it is here, is an important step for us to take in moving into our relationships more honestly and more authentically at least from my point of view because like when i don't let myself do that and i shut down into the like oh my god the bad feelings are overwhelming and these are the only bad is in scare quotes but you know what i mean the like right. negative things are super overwhelming and i'm going to shut down into them and this is all i'm going to do i put myself in a place where then I am a worse partner to be around for all of the people I'm in relation to 
and then that puts me further into scarcity mode because they react mm -hmm. to that energy. Right. And I think, you know, there's this way that when we are feeling activated, it can almost feel like acknowledging our compersion somehow is like denying our jealousy, right? Mm -hmm. That I think a lot of us struggle with figuring out how to sit with the mess and be in it and have it be okay that it is messy. A lot of people who I talk to, you know, I talk about like, who do you want to be? Do you want to be someone who tries to like control their partner to make themselves feel better? If not, then like, can you notice that urge coming up, understand where it comes from, give it kindness, and then figure out a different decision. Mm -hmm. I like to think about like my ideal self or my goal self as a like directional vector rather than a point I'm supposed to achieve. Because like with a directional vector, you're never wrong no matter what point you're at on the vector, right? As long mm -hmm. as you're still on the vector, you're doing a good job. And I think a lot of us have so much shame and guilt that we've learned from so many parts of our lives and so many people in our lives that it's easy to start judging ourselves against who we feel like we should be, viewing it as this like end point rather than a process and a series of choices. Mm -hmm. If who you want to be is someone who can be happy about their partner having other partners, then as long as you're moving towards that, you're doing a good job. You don't have to feel compersion in like a strict, like, I'm so happy my partner has a date kind of way in order to be the person who is happy that their partner has other partners, right? Like, I think a big piece of this is about figuring out, like, do I feel good about being a person who wants to shut down because I feel threatened? If not, then like, how do I want to be? What do I want to move towards? What are my values? How can I keep moving towards them even when it's hard? How can I give myself grace when I mess up? How can I give the people around me grace when they mess up mm -hmm. so that we're increasing this way that we're supporting each other and being there for each other and decreasing harm within our system internally and externally. Right. And like building in little practical steps that make sense for your own process and your own moments to help you like catch yourself and pick yourself up when you're doing those things. So for me personally, when I'm having days or nights where I am like in that space of I'm feeling like I want to do these things that are more controlling, that are more whatever than the human I'm trying to be right now, I have like a list that I've literally made for myself sitting in a box under my bed that I pull out and I do one of those activities instead. Um, most of them don't actually have anything to do with my partner. One or two of them are like journaling or whatever, stereotypical sure. things um, just to distract myself so that I don't go do the thing until I kind of calm myself down enough to not do it. Right. Right. And I think that like I have a worksheet about building compersion skills and most of it is actually about taking good care of yourself. Mm -hmm. it, I also have a, like a worksheet for like self-care while your sweetie dates, most of which is about taking care of yourself because the yeah. more resourced you are, the more taken care of you feel, the more pampered and happy and relaxed you are, the easier it is to find that space of compersion. The more threatened you feel, the more scared, the more upset, 
the more you're going to turn towards scarcity and the more you're going to turn towards jealousy. And so, again, this is about taking really good care of you. Taking really good care of you can also be sitting your partner down for a conversation that says, hey, you've gone out to like go out dates with this person four times this month. We haven't had one in three months. I would love for us to do go out dates. I want us to have more go out dates, right? Or sitting down and being like, I feel like I'm getting cucumbers and this person is getting grapes. Like, can you help me understand for you, like how investing in this relationship looks for you? Because what I'm seeing for investment in this relationship is these things. And like, I'm missing that piece of investment in this relationship. Yeah, exactly. And being open about what kinds of investment are important to you to make sure that they're compatible within that relationship. Right. Because I think, you know, we all receive different things as being like exciting or fun or nourishing towards a relationship. Some people, you know, uh, Kevin Patterson, who I adore, who I do a lot of work with, he is the chillest person ever. So like investing in a relationship for him can be as simple as like you come over and you do work at the same time and you don't talk much and you watch a show, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he is very chill. I am not that chill a person. <laughs> that is not me. So if all we're ever doing is like sitting and watching TV together, but I'm not like getting an invitation into your world, I'm not going to feel like we're as connected, right? Like there are ways in which I have very different needs. And the thing that would feed one relationship for one person may not work for me. Part of what I've tried to do over the last several years is get better at articulating like what I need to feel like I'm getting partnership from a person. Cause I think a lot of us are usually fairly able to identify what it is that we do to like give partnership, mm -hmm. but may have a more difficult time identifying what receiving partnership feels like for us. And I think looking at like what giving looks like can give you a good idea. Cause a lot of times we tend to do the things that we wish we were getting. So like, if what you're doing is a lot of like checking in and sharing and text and like bringing someone into your inner world, like maybe that's what you want in return. If what you're doing is a lot of like collective time, helping out with things, maybe that's what you want to receive. And so just really taking some time to think about what would it feel like to receive partnership here? Like what does being part, like what does it feel like when someone is being a good partner to me? What do they do that does that? What is it that I'm missing here? Right. And is this moment of jealousy you're having a matter of missing that reciprocal partnership within this relating, you know, this person who you're relating to, or is it a thing that's kind of in your head because you are getting those things, but someone else is getting something different and you've just realized, wait, that other thing actually looks really cool. Can we try that too? <laughs> I think sometimes, especially if we're, yeah, and especially in like a longer term, more established relationship, I think sometimes it's easy to kind of drift away from the fun, exciting stuff that you do a lot of at the start of a relationship. And then it starts feeling like what you have is PJs and laundry instead of like fun, exciting, sexy time. It's like, you don't get the sparkle anymore, you know? And when a partner starts dating someone new, that's when the sparkle comes back on and it reminds us of what we used to have. And that doesn't mean that what we have now is bad or not good. It means that we need more of both. That like 
the stuff that is the stable day-to-day easy stuff is great. And we want something that's about that excitement, sparkle, building kind of thing. Right. And it's one of those things where sometimes jealousy is that sign that like, oh, wait, your relationships are just all very different. And I don't mean to grass is always greener, but can we incorporate some things so it doesn't feel like the grass is always greener? Right. Because like, it's okay if there are things that you want that you're not getting from your partner. Like, there is nothing wrong to want. Your partner may not be able to give it to you. It may not be something that is realistic or doable, but it is not necessarily bad to want it. And, you know, I think a lot of folks I see are like, don't even want to communicate the things that they want or that they need because they think that having the wants is bad or having the needs is bad. And when we share those things, when we talk about it more, it gives our partners more opportunities to actually meet us where we want them. If we're trying not to talk about our wants and needs until they're like absolute DEFCON 5 must get them or this is over kind of needs, then we have way less room for negotiation and finding something that works well for both of us. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sort of cultural background of like, don't express these wants unless they're at this ridiculous level, especially for people who are socialized as women, but for everybody, kind of. Yeah. Uh, that like, Well, because people who are socialized as men are supposed to not want or need anything. Well, right. So they don't tell us anything at all. And then people who are socialized. Or they use, they use people, as, they use their often cis women partners as their like de facto therapists and social navigators and calendars and family negotiators and, and, and. Right. And so then you hit non-monogamy and you have to go through a whole like pattern of figuring out, wait, we need to renegotiate literally everything about our relationship Mm -hmm. because I have become the social secretary, including for your new relationships. And I don't want to be in the center of it. Good day. Um, If anybody wants to hear more about that and doesn't listen to the podcast regularly, please go back to episode two of this season. I talked with Jolie Hamilton about that for about 10 minutes of that episode. Um, But yeah, it. There's a lot of cultural background of like expressing wants means that they didn't read your mind, so they don't love you. And that's just not how the real world works. No, Uh, you know, I had a housemate situation that absolutely blew up because the housemate kept expecting me to read her mind Yeah, and wouldn't communicate with me about what she wanted until she had like a whole sack of things she had been pissed about for weeks that she would unload all at once and talk about what a terrible, ungrateful, unhelpful person I was. And I'm like, you could have just asked me to break down the boxes if that was what you wanted. Why didn't you just say, hey, can you help me break down these boxes? Right. Or like, could you just tell me, hey, I would like you to do this instead of holding on to it for several weeks and making it a whole statement on my character. And she couldn't. She just couldn't. Right. And there's a certain degree of directness that is even more necessary when being non-monogamous than is really probably something that should be the norm across the board. But yes. But even more so if you're trying to navigate multiple relationships at once, because everyone's needs will be different 
and whatever you're assuming the default is, is infinitely more likely to be offset if you have multiple partners because everyone's will be different. Yeah. And everyone's will be different and yours will be different with those different people. Right. Like, I don't think that any of us have the exact same needs in every relationship. We have some that tend to be similar and every relationship is different because there are different people in it. Mm-hmm. Every relationship is different than it was the day before or the month before, because we are different people. Mm-hmm. This is not a like one and done. You don't get to just sit down and say like, these are all the things I need. Ta-da, finished. Right. Like this is a continual practice of talking about the things, bringing them up often and early so that you can deal with them when they're a minor thing rather than a huge, huge thing. Right. And we're all growing and changing as people as we go. So if you are in a relationship of some longevity, the only real thing you can be assured of is that you're going to do this a million times because you and your partner will change throughout it. Yeah. You don't finish. Like we don't get to the done point. You know, it's always renegotiating. It's always changing. I think in general, the biggest thing I've noticed in terms of relationships where compersion felt easier in scare quotes was partners who were more upfront about their needs and their wants because it made it simpler to not guess at where that relationship was so there was less worry underlying it and it was easier to then go oh our relationship is doing great i'm so glad their other relationships are too yeah i mean the the clearer that you feel about your place in a relationship the easier it is to feel compersion the same way that the safer you feel the easier it is to be generous right mm-hmm. if i know i have ten thousand dollars in the bank it's easier to give a friend 20 bucks than if i have a hundred dollars in the bank right like it means a different thing if you're getting a ton of connection from your partner if they're giving you clear communication about what is working what isn't if they're showing up for you in the ways that you need if they are doing the skills that are important for healthy secure attachment relationally it is much much easier to feel compersion mm-hmm. if they're not doing those things it's going to be more challenging um you know i've dated a few folks who are big compartmentalizers and so they don't want to talk about much of their life And it leaves me feeling like I don't know them and I'm not a part of their world because I tell them everything about me, what's going on in my world, who I'm talking to, what's happening, what's going on. And I don't get that from them. And that imbalance makes it feel way less stable. It makes it feel way less steady because I don't know where they stand. I don't know where I stand. I don't know what's happening in their world. I don't know who they are or what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Not because they like owe me an interrogation every time, but because for me, a big part of intimacy is being in each other's inner worlds, is inviting each other into this inner world. And if I'm giving plenty of invitations and openings and they aren't, it's hard to feel like we have actually attached here. Yep. And like when you're not in that deeper state of attachment, it's a lot harder to be in that comfortable place where, yeah, compersion is simple. And instead it stays in that messy bowl. For longer. Yeah. When we have abundance, it's easy to give. 
if the connection you have feels abundant in its connectedness, it is easy for you to celebrate them having other connections. It's when you feel like there is a scarcity in your connection that it is much, much harder. And sometimes just because of how life is or because of where people are at, our connections aren't going to be as abundant as we would want them to be. You know, the pandemic has fucked up a lot of us in some pretty profound ways. And that means that a lot of us may be having more trouble showing up as partners than we have previously, that it may be harder for us to make space for other people or to have space for the the work and the effort that it takes to continue and maintain a connection. And when we don't do that, it makes our connections less stable, which then increases jealousy, which then increases conflict, which then increases all of these problems that we don't have the space for already. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it definitely in the position of like, then dealing with a look, the rest of the world outside increases the number of conversations where someone's like, Oh man, that's so much drama. I could never do polyamory. Look at all this jealousy, (laughs) which I know is such a kind of moot point. Just hilarious. If you've watched literally any monogamy dating show, like if you've watched literally any monogamy dating show, you know that they have just as much drama. And they're Although, way worse at talking about it. My favorite <laughs> thing is that now monogamy dating shows have decided that microdosing polyamory is the best way to do a monogamy dating show. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. adorable. I, it's really cute. It's I mean, I love those. I love Love is Blind. I love the ultimatum. Yeah, are you so the cute. one? The queer season. The straight seasons are boring as fuck. Well, but sure. the queer season of Are You the One was great. Um because they could all match with each other. Everybody mm-hmm. was polysexual, everybody. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's it's this weird thing where a lot of monogamy shows now are about like, mm-hmm. try out some non-monogamy for a minute so you can find who you really want to settle down with. And like, oh, the drama, God, the drama. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then all the monogamists are like, but man, polyamorous people, that's just drama. And I'm like, uh-huh really no good no you see i mean look all you have to do is look at the accursed libel trial that's happening right now with the two stars to know that drama in monogamy world is at least as big as drama in polyamory world if not considerably bigger yep yep Mm -hmm. but yes yeah in the end i think the sort of base premise that jealousy is a signal that we need to be able to look at to actually learn something from that can be really valuable to us if we take the time to do that and if we don't we'll just sort of end up dragging us into a pit of feels that we don't really want to sit in and come out sideways into other conflict is a really clear way to look at it and i appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us that nut of a way to to digest this where can and think of compersion like gardening like compersion is like gardening you don't plant your seeds and get pissed that your plants aren't sprouted the next day right Mm -hmm. compersion it's a process sometimes your compersion is going to spread out relatively quick sometimes it's going to take longer you don't stop watering the plants because they haven't sprouted in a day right Mm -hmm. like you have to continually 
water. This is why I don't have plants because I can't, I have ADHD. I can't water something all the time. That's so, and then sometimes they don't want water. That's a lot. I can't. Right. But like compersion as a theoretical garden, if you're not continually putting in the effort, <laughs> right? Like this is not a one and done. You don't get to just like set a timer and have it be finished. You have to keep putting in effort. You have to keep working on it. You have to keep working on building things and making yourself real well-resourced and making your relationship well-resourced so that compersion can happen. Yes. For my fellow brats, you must water the compersion more than you water yourself. Um, but in general, I think that like these ways of looking at it so that we can reframe some of this like very poster child way of looking at it of polyamorous people can't get jealous and they're always compersive <laughs> which no has never it's never been true guys and if someone tries to tell you no. this they're selling you something they are selling you something that is very snake oil so yeah and they're and they're also creating a system which you're just going to keep feeling bad about yourself which is going to increase your jealousy and decrease your compersion so like just nah don't to work on it in the long term in very incremental steps and it will be okay whether or not you feel mm -hmm. it as a mess or as a clearer system today so Thank you for joining me. Where can we find you in the next couple of weeks? Uh, my website is drlizpowell.com. Very straightforward. I also have a Indiegogo going to help fund the recording of an audiobook of my, my book, Building Open Relationships. Uh, that is indiegogo.com slash projects slash building hyphen open slash hyphen relationships hyphen audiobook. So indiegogo.com slash projects slash building open relationships audiobook um it will be in the show notes the words. for you guys it'll be in the show notes yeah um i would really love to have an audiobook available because that's so much more accessible for people who are uh blind or, or visually impaired um i also have a patreon which is patreon.com slash dr liz uh, and Kevin Patterson and I have some great classes for folks who do non-monogamy called Unfuck Your Polyamory, which you can find at unfuckyourpolyamory.com. Great. So all of their links will be in the show notes along with the sort of standard ready for polyamory links. And I'll include the links from uh, my blog about these topics. And I'll double check to see whether there are any uh, in uh, Dr. Liz's blog history about it too, and throw them in as well. For oh, I have a, I have a folder link I can send you. That's got the PDF of the slides for the compersion class I teach, as well as the compersion worksheet for folks. Perfect. So that way you guys can find all of those resources in the show notes. So once again, a big thanks to Dr. Liz for being with me to talk about all of this. Check out all of their stuff at their website, drlizpowell.com, as well as at all of the links in the show notes for things like the Indiegogo for their audiobook, which they're hoping to get recorded. And as well, we've got all of the Ready for Polyamory links in the show notes. You know where I am, the blog, on social media. Right now, I've been trying to do a lot on Instagram, but I am still on TikTok and Twitter. And I'd love to have you with me on all of them, as well as in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory, if you'd like to join us. 
in the show notes. I've also got that folder that Dr. Liz mentioned for you and some articles from the Ready for Polyamory blog about the topics of jealousy and compersion. So check all of that out and I'll see you next week. I know that I'd promised last week that this week's episode was going to be our episode on polyamory and parenting, but the late pandemic world being what it is, my recordings happened a little bit out of sync. And so I'm releasing this one first and polyamory and parenting will both open and close our fifth season of this uh, podcast. So I look forward to seeing you next week for that one. Have a great one. Bye.